Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. How many know that we are in a battle and that we're living in a fallen society, a broken planet? We know that, right? And we are in a dogfight, so to speak. And we know we have enemies that come against us in this life. That's why it's called fighting the good fight of faith. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But it is a fight. It's like a dogfight. And, you know, in this nation, we've experienced, you know, many fights and wars. Have we not? Yeah, absolutely. Anyone ever hear of the Battle of the Bulge? Yeah. That was a true battle that people are fighting even today. But it's one of those battles that we obviously, Gettysburg and, and the Revolutionary War and all that. We had Civil War, all, all the different wars. And what's, what's taking place? People engaging, fighting, standing against one another, trying to prevail. Well, the Bible says we're in a fight. We're fighting the good fight of faith. And we need to have our faith as it ought to be in a place where we can truly receive from God. Now, if it's a fight like this in our brains, where it's in our souls, and our minds, where we know the battlefield of the mind is where it's all at, that's what it takes place. It's almost like as if we got the flesh and the spirit to deal with. The flesh, you could say, is one dog, and you got the spirit as another dog. So you got these two dogs fighting with each other. And what are they vying for? Control of the mind. Control of the mind to make us think wrong. Because you know what? One's going to prevail. And which one do you think is going to prevail? The one we feed the most. The dog that we feed the most is the one that's going to prevail. So whatever it is that we feed on is going to be dominant. If we feed on the Word of God on a continuous basis, then our spirit man is going to be in ascendancy. The strong spirit of man will sustain him in bodily sickness or, or trouble. But if we don't feed on the Word of God, we just feed ourselves on all the negativity that's out there in the world, then what's going to dominate? Flesh is going to dominate. So that's why we're here. We want to feed on the Word of God on a continuous basis so that we can build our faith up, so that we can rise up above the challenges that we face in this life. Let me give you a quick example of uh, how faith is developed. You ever hear of George Mueller? Pastor Reverend George Mueller, back in the day, many years ago, well, he had an orphanage that he started, and of course, as he began, it's, he said it took him all that he possibly could do to believe God for one dollar when he began out, began in ministry. But as over the years he progressed in his faith and built up his faith, he said it was as easy for him to believe God for a million dollars as it was for one dollar at the beginning of his ministry. And so he stayed with it and developed it until he got to a place where it was no problem that there was no food for the kids at the parsonage or at the orphanage. Why? Because he just said, well, I believe God. And God always showed up. Well, one day he was en route after 57 years of ministry on his way to Quebec. And what he was going to do was going to preach at a place Saturday afternoon. And about five days to get there, he was on a steamship. And the steamship captain was also a very devout Christian. 
Well, he noticed that the boat had slowed down, the ship had slowed down, and so he said um, to the captain, he says, why did we slow down? I've got to be in Quebec. He said, we're not going to make it at this rate. He said, well, brother, the fog that's out there is getting thick. It's, it's everywhere. It's so thick. There's no possible way. I was down this way five weeks ago. You're not going to make it. That's just the bottom line. You are not going to make it unless you have some other means of transportation. He said, well, there isn't any other means of transportation. I need to get there. And in 57 years of ministry, I've never failed to miss a meeting. He said, well, I'm sorry, sir. You're going to miss your first meeting. He said, well, look, let's go downstairs in the cabin. Let's pray. So George Mueller brought him down, got him on his knees. They both got on their knees. He's a Christian. They're both Christians. And he prayed a simple prayer. He said, now, Lord, you know that I need to be there on Saturday. This fog's in the way. I'm speaking to it in Jesus' name. It's got to lift. I thank you that you heard me, and I thank you that I have it, and I appreciate that. Well, this other captain, who's a Christian as well, was thinking to himself, he said, what, and what lunatic asylum has this guy come out, out of? There's no possible way. But he thought, you know, he's a Christian too, so I better start praying. So he started to say a prayer, and Brother Mueller tapped him on the shoulder and said, don't pray. He said, well, why not? He said, number one, you don't believe. Number two, it's already done. I believe it. Opened up the door and go, look. He went up and opened up the door and looked outside. There was no fog. Completely gone. And he made it to his meeting. That Saturday. Imagine that. You talk about a kind of faith that he possessed over the years, declaring that this is how it has to be. He said, in all the years of me developing intimacy with God, this is how it's always been. Something to be said for that, amen? amen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 7, your first line here, we walk by the evidence of things not seen. For faith, we know, is the substance of things that are not seen. We walk by faith, not by sight. What does it look like? Honestly, answer the question for yourself. What's it look like for me? What am I going through right now? What are the evidence of my senses? What are my five senses telling me right now? That the fog's there and there's no possible way this can happen. Well, if we don't believe in divine intervention, then there's no possible way that it can happen. But if we believe in divine intervention and we believe that God hears us when we pray, then we can believe that God will do his part so that he can make a way for us. Well, what's standing in front of us? Is there a giant in the way? Well, that giant, we could look at that and focus on that giant and say we walk... Once again, not by sight, but by faith. Now, the senses would tell us that, yes, you're a giant, or yes, these city walls are really impenetrable, but that's sight. And we're so prone to leaning towards sight that we take sight and we exalt it above the Word of God and everything else that God stands for, and that becomes more of a reality to us than what God said or what Jesus has done for us in His finished work on Calvary. So if we lean toward that understanding, then we're not trusting God with our whole heart. But God says, no, trust me with your heart. You may not see it, hear it, feel it, taste it, or smell it, but trust me with your heart, and I'll bring it to pass. So what is it? Is it a burning, fiery furnace that's in front of us? Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? If you don't bend and bow your knee, then you will burn in the furnace. And who is that God that can deliver you out of my hand? Our God can. Our God can. And He will. So if you throw us in, we're not going to burn. 
You know, because we read somewhere that in the midst of the fire, he said, I will be with you. You're not going to burn. You're not going to sink. You're not going to drown because I'll be with you. And so their focus and attention was not on a burning fiery furnace, but the temptation is to do what? To look at the circumstance, to look at the situation, to look at the obstacle, to look at the mountain and just say that in the natural, this is impossible for it to take place. It cannot happen. But with God, all things are possible. And to him that believes, all things are possible. So whatever it is that we may be encountering, it is important to understand that this is how faith works. If that mountain is, looks bigger than our God, then we've got some work to do. If our God is bigger than that mountain to us, then we're on the right track. So, we walk by the evidence of things not seen, is your first word, by calling things that be not as though they were, and not by sight, or but what our senses tell us. Now, that in itself is a mouthful. What are my five senses dictating to me? What are they telling me? We gravitate toward the senses because they're the ones that we look to as we navigate through this life on earth. God gave us five physical senses for that very reason. There's nothing wrong with them. We need to hear what's happening. We need to see what's happening and so on. But they cannot dominate our lives in such a way so as to take faith in God and just remove it from our heart. God wants us to develop a sixth sense. It's called a sense of faith. That we exalt Him and His Word and the finished work of Christ above everything else that we encounter in life. It, uh, under point A, God responds to faith. God's power is unleashed through faith. The power of God to heal can be present as it is right now, but not one person get healed unless faith taps into it. The man that was born of four, it says very clearly in Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, that the power of God was present to heal them, plural, but only one got healed. When he saw their faith, he saw a display of faith that they weren't taking no for an answer. There's no other way that it's going to be. If that's where the power is at, if he's the powerhouse and he has the anointing of healing, I'm going to get to him. And a crowd's not going to discourage me. A crowd's not going to keep me away. You know, the crowd can be saying with all the senses, say, it's impossible. There's no way. There's the report here. That report says this. It's impossible. It cannot happen. But God says, no. There's something that goes beyond what our five senses are telling us. And so they dropped them down and he saw their faith and said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And you know the story from there. Take up your bed and walk. He was healed and he was made whole. And what tapped into the power of God was the man's faith. Faith will release the power of God. So he responds to faith, not feelings, not emotions. There would be an abundance of miracles if God responded to feelings of fear, worry, despair, and anxiety. If, if, if the scripture says we walk by anxiety, we walk by fear and despair, that'd be easy, wouldn't it? It's easy to feel those emotions and let them dominate our lives. But when we walk by faith, we're not saying that these don't exist. They may exist. Fear may exist. Worry, anxiety can gather all around about us. But we say faith is a choice. I'm choosing not to let my feelings, my emotion, 
or any other kind of report dominate my life. There would be an abundance of miracles if it was fear and anxiety. Now remember in Mark's Gospel chapter 9, we won't turn to all these so we can get through everything. You remember the story where the man brought his son. The son was suicidal and tried to take his life, either throwing himself to the fire or trying to drown himself in the water. And this man is obviously frustrated as to what's going on. And the man brought him to the disciples of Jesus, and they couldn't heal him. But Jesus said, bring him to me. Well, I love that, don't you? Bring him to me. Who should we go to? Jesus. It's been my desire to help us all to get to Jesus. It's not my responsibility to have you get, come to me or anybody else. It's to get us all to get to the feet of Jesus. Bow before his presence and let him know how much we appreciate his sacrifice and how he shed his blood for us and the stripes that he bore for us. You know what? We should value those stripes. In Isaiah 53, where it talks about it pleased Jehovah to bruise him. Jehovah himself bruised him for us. He had us in mind when he bore that bruising for us. It wasn't just the stripes the Roman lictor placed upon him. It was what Jehovah the Father placed on him. The fullness of the wrath of God was placed upon Jesus. The stripes that he bore for us from, the, from Jehovah his Father was for us so that we could be free. Spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically free. Of course, when he brought him there, the man spewed out immediately. If you can do anything, have compassion on us. Can you imagine accusing Christ of being without compassion? If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And immediately the response of Jesus is something that we all need to take to heart. He said, uh-uh, it's not what I can do. If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. There's where the if lies. If you can believe. It's not what God can do. It's what you can believe. Well, let me ask you, what can God do? If you stand before a Red Sea and there's no way of escape and you've got to go on the other side of the sea and there's no way to cross, there's no bridge, there's no boat, there's no plane, there's no way. All you see is water in front of you and the Egyptians behind you. That's it. You've come to an impasse. There's no possible way. And so what does Moses do? He appeals to the living God and says, you can help us here? And what does Moses say? I mean, what does God say to Moses? Stretch forth, you do something. Stretch forth the rod. You know what? If we're not willing to stretch forth a rod, we will not activate the power of God. And so he stretches forth a rod. And now imagine this. Sometimes when we read this, we go over this, we think that there's one little section here, maybe as big as the aisle or whatever, maybe even two sections of, of pews here. And that's how they went. No, 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 no. We're talking of three million people. You know how wide that was? And the waters were congealed like ice, frozen like ice on either side, a path that is probably a mile if not more long to get across to the other side. 
and they're walking across dry land. We talk about the awesome power of God. Who would have thought of that? That's the way to do it. Well, you can't go to the left, you can't go to the right, and you can't, go, you can't reverse and go backwards. You've got to go across, and there is a way. But no, there is no way. Yes, there is a way. What's the way? God. I trust you. And so he parts the Red Sea, and they walk on dry land. And it's also important that we recognize that when the enemy continued following, God didn't just bring the water back on them without him saying, now, do the same thing. He used Moses to bring the water back as well. Faith in God is faith in his word, be it written or be it spoken. And oh, how important it is to have a word in due season. What is God saying to us to do in our situation? And can I say this too when it comes to even doing things like taking medicine and stuff like that? You know, sometimes we just want to have complete faith in doing what someone else tells us to do. Well, guess what? We should be doing what God tells us to do. Because I believe in all my heart that God will know if that medica medication is going to hurt you, He'll tell you. If it's not, if it's going to help you, He'll tell you. Because you see, when we deal with it in the natural world, the medical world, they don't know because everybody's body is different. Isn't that the truth? So you don't know. So it pays to have a close walk with God to know what we should do in our given situation. Should I do this or should I not do this? And when you get the word of God, then guess what? You've got a basis for faith. God will see it through to the end because he's the one that designed it from the very beginning. He's the one. He's the author. He authorized it. He's the author and finisher of our faith. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, fight the Fight the fight of faith more than anything else is the fight between what God says and what our senses tell us. What God says and what our senses tell us. They told us, Andrew can't live. We saw him. We heard them. Trust me, it was impacting. You're standing there like you're facing a Red Sea, an impossibility. You're going against all the intelligence of all these individuals put together, which I know nothing about what they're talking about. I don't know what 22Q11 is. Well, at least I didn't then. I don't know what Tetralogy of Fallot is. I don't know what the transposition of the major arteries is at that time. Didn't know any of that. All I heard was he can't live. He is going to die either in your arms or in that operating room. Take your pick. You ever see a movie in slow motion and all of a sudden things go into slow motion and you're hit with that like, he can't live. That's okay, doctors. You do your part. God will do his. It doesn't matter if you have to just eke it out. But that's what I said. God will do his. And of course, the rest is history. Was there a fight even more along the way? Absolutely there was. It's a fight. You're standing and resisting an enemy that's coming against you. And even though even every day it looks like it's getting worse and worse or whatever, the focus cannot be on this, what the senses are dictating to us and telling us. I can begin to rehearse to you. In the book, it even has some things that we went through. But all every single day, there was another challenge. He can't suck. He can't swallow and breathe at the same time. He'll be in a feeding tube for the rest of his life. And the list went on. It was just a litany of things that were going to happen and, and this and that. Because they understand. They know. They're the experts. 
And with every one of those situations, we thanked them for their efforts and stayed with the Word of God and said, but God said. Oh, I can't emphasize that enough. The way to release the power of God is to declare what He said, take it to heart, and let everybody know, I believe it. I believe what God said. There's a fight, and that fight is between what God says and our senses are telling us. In Isaiah 53 and verse 1, there is report. Whose report will you believe? Who will believe the report of the Lord? Isaiah 53 verse 1 says that. There is God's report based on revelation truth, and there is the report of natural or physical truth. The report of physical or natural truth. So physical and natural. We're not denying the natural truth. We're not denying physical truth. The evil report is not the natural report. The evil report is when the natural report is given and we embrace it and say, based on what man says, based on what my senses say, it can't happen. That is the evil report. The good report is when I say, yes, the natural report says it can't happen. He can't live. It's impossible. But God. Oh, everybody say, but God. But God. Say it like you mean it. But God. but God. Hallelujah. Let it echo in our brains. But God. But God. But God. God is greater than the natural report. He is greater than the physical report. Oh, thank God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Numbers 13, 27 through 29. Once again, the natural report, the word is natural, the natural report is based on natural and physical facts. We're not denying the natural and the physical facts at all. That is the natural report. He said, as you have spoken in my ears, that's what I'm going to do to you. What they were speaking in his ears was based on the natural report. What was the natural report? In these verses it says, we can't go into that land. We can't overcome the people. The giants are too big. They're too strong. The cities are walled up and we can't get through any of that. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. We're like grasshoppers in our sight. That's the evil. That's the natural report. That natural report was true and not denied. Caleb came along and just said, well, that may be true. But, God is on our side. No matter how big they are, no matter how strong they are, no matter what stands in our way, He is the one who's getting us into the promised land. He's the one that said, I'll send my angel before you. He's the one that said, we can do it if we rely and trust in Him. That's who they're choosing to believe. Well, the other said, let's stone them because they're crazy. They're these crazy faith people. Well, God defended them and His glory was manifested. Would you rather have the glory of God manifested because you worship Him or because He has to protect someone from you? Hmm? What would you rather have? I'd rather worship Him and have His glory manifest because I'm worshiping Him, not because I'm coming against His people. Well, that's what they were doing. His own people. They wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb. Under point C, faith is a decision. I choose, I choose to exalt 
God's report above the, re, the natural report or the natural report above God's above God's. I refuse to exalt the natural report above God's. I choose to exalt God's report above the natural report. It is a choice. To be honest with you, we had to go through the same feelings and emotions. We're still going through the same feelings and emotions, but they were there. But I said, I choose to. We choose not to let them die in our arms. We choose to let them go in there and have the surgery. We choose to believe God and trust God to see him through this. And God came through. But it's a choice. It's not just a feeling. It's a choice. Numbers 13, 30-33, Joshua and Caleb chose to exalt God's report. And I love this about Joshua and Caleb when they said, look, this is nothing but bread for us. They're bread for us. It may be easy to spew those words out, but do you know what kind of development of faith there had to be in their lives for them to make that comment? For him to say, they're bread for us, we're just feeding on this. This is an opportunity for us just to feed on something that will strengthen our faith. This, that's how they saw that. It's an opportunity to feed on the enemy. Just feed on that man. Watch God move in such a powerful way. All that's going to do is increase my faith in God. That's how they viewed it. That's how they saw it. And that doesn't happen over night. You know, you think about uh, Elisha the prophet, and you think about his servant, and you remember them at Dothan when they were there, surrounded by the enemy. What do you see? And the, and the servant said, Master, how are we going to fare here? What's going to happen here? We're surrounded by the enemy. Everywhere I look, his focus was on the natural. His focus was on what his five senses revealed to him. And what does Elisha say? Oh, Lord, open up his eyes that he may see. What a prayer. And he opens up his eyes, and what does he see around that Syrian army? What do they have? Fiery chariots. Fiery chariots, angelic hosts surrounding them. And they're smitten with blindness and so on. You know the story. But the point is, we can look at it from two different perspectives. We can be dominated by these two different perspectives. But it takes time for us to develop our faith to get to a place that we say, it doesn't matter what it looks like, feels like, it doesn't matter what it tastes like, smells like. What I hear, as far as I'm concerned, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And my God is able to do for me exceeding abundantly above all I ask and all I think according to this power of his faith that's at work in my life. What power is in us? The power of the Holy Ghost. What power is in us? The power of the name of Jesus. What power is in us? The power of the blood of the Lamb. What power? Praise God. Prayer power, passion power, proclamation power. We've got the power on the inside. We've got the power, the mighty power of Almighty God in us, available to us. The Spirit said this decision was an evil report when they chose. God's reports above the natural report and the rest chose to exalt the natural report above God's report and that report is called the evil report. The evil report. When we say we can't do it and we leave God out of the equation. Number two, faith has a foundation. It's not built on nothing. Faith has a foundation. It's not built on nothing. It's based on what God said 
or what he told us to do. Once again, we go back to studying the word of God to know what he said or listening to the voice of the spirit to hear what he's saying for us to do in our given situation. Here in Mark's gospel, chapter 4 and verse 35, he said for, to the, his disciples, let us pass over to the other side. That was his comment. Let us pass over to the other side, right? So they got on the ship and they began passing over to the other side. Then a storm came up. And when the storm came up, of course, they were concerned. They were afraid. They were fearful for their lives. Well, under point A, faith comes by hearing. And what they heard was, let us pass over to the other side. Not, let's go halfway and drown. That's not what Jesus said. Let's go halfway across the sea and let's drown. Didn't say that. What God says can and will be challenged even when we are doing what God said to do. It will be challenged. God said to go to the other side. They were in the perfect will of God. See, some think if I'm in the perfect will of God, I'm not going to be challenged. Oh, yes, you will. In the perfect will of God, let's go to the other side. And they were challenged along the way because the enemy does not want us walking with God in his perfect will. So he will challenge that. And that's what happened here. They were challenged. Jesus was in the same boat. You ever have that expression said to you? We're in the same boat. Right? Wouldn't you like to be in the same boat with Jesus? We're in the same boat. Well, he's in the same boat. Jesus was in the same boat, but had no fear, anxiety, or concern for their safety or well-being. None whatsoever. How can that be? I mean, to the degree that he was sleeping on a leather pillow, one translation says. I still amaze myself at that. Is he that sound of a sleeper? That these skilled sailors, fishermen, say we're going under, we're going to drown, which means there's swells and the water's coming into the boat and all that stuff, and he's asleep on a pillow. Well, he wasn't worried, was he? No concerns what at all, at all. Well, Jesus expected more faith from them. He did. Faith based on let us pass over to the other side. Us means everyone, not some. When they said, don't you care? That reveals a major characteristic of no faith. Because he said to them, how is it you have no faith? So if we were to evaluate this statement, Jesus is saying to them, if you think I don't care, if you think that you're going under, if you think you're going to perish and God doesn't care, well then that's, that qualifies for no faith. It doesn't take a whole lot to believe that. That's no faith. But Jesus said, look, all you got to do is believe. I said, let us pass over to the other side. That was the word given. All they had to do was believe that. They were questioning God's love, is your next word, and care. Man, don't you care? Don't you love us enough to intervene on our behalf? Don't you care? 
Faith is released with words. But words that come from a heart that knows God. A heart that rests in God. A heart that exalts God's word above what the five senses dictate. Jesus had no problem just getting up. Now remember, he's still groggy because he was still sleeping. Remember, he's probably in a sound, sound sleep. And he gets up and he's groggy and just looks around and says, Peace be still. I wonder if he shouted it. Think it would matter how loud you say it. Peace be still. And it's a calm. What manner of man is this, they said, that he speaks to the wind, the waves, and the sea, and they obey him? What manner of man is this? Well, that's wonderful to say, but what about this? What manner of man and woman are we when he says, where's your faith? You could have done the same thing, in other words. Oh, where's your faith? How come you have no faith? I guess he was expecting them to say, peace be still. Sometimes I think we think we've got to have these long, elaborate prayers about something. You know, I remember once reading like Wigglesworth said, if you have faith in God, you don't need a long prayer. Stop. Be healed. You're free. I'll never forget the time I read about a fellow that came into his healing line twice, you don't go into his healing line twice. <laughs> Just once is enough for him. And he was at a place where there was a platform like this here, and he was sitting in a chair. He was ministering to people. A guy had a broken leg, and he came up on crutches and up on a, a platform there, and he prayed for him. The guy went off. Next night, he comes back up, same platform, right before Wigglesworth, he said, didn't I pray for you last night? Uh-huh. Turn around and get your unbelief out of here. Put his foot to his backside and pushed him off the platform, went flying in the air, hit the ground, completely healed. You want to try that one? You talk about a bold faith? He didn't even pray for him. He just says, get your unbelief out of here. Okay, Brother Wigglesworth. And he would say things like this, if the Spirit doesn't move, then you move him. A boldness with God. This boldness does not come by going to meeting somewhere. Unless that meeting is at the throne. It's when the meeting is at the throne and we meet with God and we know exactly what God is speaking to our heart and telling us to do that's the right meaning that produces that kind of intimacy with God, that kind of boldness before God and confidence in God to know that this is what thus saith the Lord. This is of God. And this is what God wants me to do. So, faith is released with words when he said, peace be still. But the wind can hear. The sea can hear. I know that's hard for us to think. This is, it's not logical. It's not logical at all. You see, this walk with God is a miraculous one. It's a supernatural one. It's a spiritual one. It is not a logical walk with God in a sense. It's logical for us to think that and know that God is greater than man. I mean, we understand that. But when it comes to like natural logic, 
And when you say that there's a storm here, you don't talk to wind, you don't talk to waves, you don't talk to the sea. It obeys you. This guy's dead four days. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. How logical is that? And he comes forth. Faith is in the unseen spiritual realm. And there needs to be an understanding of that realm that we have, that we can identify with, that exalts the things of God above natural things in this world. But once again, we're more prone to obey our five senses than we are God's word. Next, Jesus didn't pray to the Father. He spoke to the situation. He spoke to it. I'm telling you right now, stop. Imagine that. He spoke to the situation. In John 14, verse 12, we are told that the works he did, we will do also, and greater than these we do because he's gone to the Father. Well, the wind obeyed him, the sea obeyed him. In Luke 4, the fever obeyed him when he rebuked it and spoke harsh words to it. They all heard what Jesus said. They all heard what Jesus said. Think about this. He walks up to a fig tree and there's no figs on it. So he speaks to it and says, no many fruit of thee hereafter forever. And guess what? The tree heard him. The tree has ears. The wind has ears. Hard to imagine. We don't see life that way. These are inanimate objects to us. They're not like a tree. He spoke to a tree. And he said, don't, don't marvel at that. Because I'm telling you, if you speak to that mountain, that mountain will also be removed to yonder place and nothing will be impossible to you. Have we scratched the surface of that? I think not. Can we deny that he said that? You know, everyone's tried to explain that away and someone says he didn't really mean a physical mountain. Really? Really? He's going to split some mountains when he comes again. And I guarantee you, just like the wind obeyed him, the sea obeyed him, and the waves obeyed him, the mountains will obey him too. But he's challenging us by saying, you can do it too. Apparently, Jesus expects us to do as he did. You've heard me give this testimony time before, but, but once again, in your journey in walking with God, there's going to be different things that you encounter along the way. And when I walked to my son's room, I was just going to go through what I knew to do. Lay hands on him because he had a fever and he was burning up as a as a child. So I put the other one to bed and I walked into his room and I was walking toward him. I was uh, halfway into the room when it was as if I walked into a brick wall. And I stood there as I almost hit the wall that I didn't see. And in a flash, and this is hard to explain, in a flash, I knew within my being what to do. And I looked at his body and I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I rebuke you. And the moment I said those words and spoke those words and evicted the spirit, I watched and saw this black bird-like figure fly out of the window off of his brow. And his breathing went from heavily breathing to normal breathing and the fever was instantly gone. That was an experience. Deserting us spirits. Special faith in operation. The thing is, we don't know when those things will occur, but we walk with God in such a way so as to know exactly what we would do in a given situation. Jesus healed five blind men five different ways. 
five different methods that he used to heal all one condition, blindness. But he knew in each one that's what needs to be done. You know the time he spit and touched someone's tongue with his spit? Okay, Aaron. I, I agree with you, Aaron. That doesn't sound like the most appropriate way that we want to do to minister healing to somebody, but I understand that. But Jesus did it, and it worked. Amen. And he said, do as I do. Follow me. Follow his example. I haven't done that one yet, and I don't think I'm probably going to, unless, unless God speaks in an audible voice and says to do that. Number three, when we release faith, we will be tempted to worry, fear, or doubt. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, in teaching on the sower of the seed, we talk about four different soils, and here they are. When he taught this, and this is the parable of all parables. If you read this parable in Matthew 13, and, and then also in Mark 4, you can see this. The parable of all parables, he says, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand anything? This is the one that we should mount upon our mirror and just say, this is what it's all about. What is it? The sower sows the seed of God's word. There's four different conditions. There's the wayside, number one, the wayside. That's where the path is hardened and the seed just sitting on top of it. Number two, stony soil. Stony soil. Number three, thorny soil. And then number four, good soil. So we've got four different conditions here, each one representing a condition where the seed of God's word is attempting to grow into productivity, bearing fruit. So what happens is when the seed of God's word is sown to a person's heart, the good soul is the one that hears the word, receives the word, protects the word, and bears fruit. But the other ones... By the wayside, it never penetrates the very heart of the person and the enemy comes along and just plucks it out and steals it and they walk away from it. And then they walk away and just say, I tried that, that stuff doesn't work. Believing that doesn't work. Didn't work for me. And then the stony soil. Well, it starts, it produces just a little plant that starts coming up out of the ground, but then scorched by the sun. There's probably not enough water. It's scorched by the sun and boom, it withers away. And then the third one, and he's talking about you're covered with all kinds of... Uh, Thoughts of this, the, the concerns of this life, you're, you know, over, let's say, overbearing, there are overbearing circumstances, situations that are taking place, and it chokes out the word, and as a result, it's not bearing any fruit. But the third, the fourth one, is the condition of the good soil. And what does all that tell us? There's, if you divide that into 100%, that means 25% of the people that hear, we're going to produce or bear fruit. Of that 25%, he said 30, 60, and 100. Which means 33% of the 25% will produce 30, and then 60, and then 100. Think about that. Those percentages aren't great, are they? But we need to be aware of that. Why? Because we're going to be tempted to go back and allow our five physical senses dominate our lives. Temptation B, to fear, to doubt, to worry, or be distracted, carnally minded. To be carnally minded. Mm. To be carnally minded, which is enmity against God. In Romans chapter 8, 5 through 8, you can see this. 
Faith is what pleases God, but not carnal thinking are your next two words. Not carnal thinking does not in any way please God. And once again, we're not even criticizing anyone because you know what? Carnal thinking is based on our five senses. We think our thinking is right. We think it's, you can't get across that Red Sea. We think those city walls are too strong and those giants are too big and, and too mighty. You know, we see all this and we can't get through this desert because there's no food to eat. There's no water to drink. We're going to starve to death. We're going to have dehydration. And uh, possibly we're going to get burned up and have a stroke. Or in, in the daytime hours and nighttime hours when it's down to 25 degrees, you know, hypothermia is going to set in. We're just going to be overwhelmed. No wonder they complained. No wonder when they came out and they complained and complained and complained. Because in the natural, who wouldn't complain? You want to spend the night out in 25 degree weather? No, thank you. What, only the clothes on your back? I don't think anybody would. And not knowing where your next meal is going to come from, or are you going to get some water to drink? No. So you could say legitimately they could, they had a beef with God, they could complain. But you see, what they did was they ignored the fact that God said something because they had no relationship with God, because they didn't have any fellowship with God, they didn't trust God. They believed that what they saw was greater than what God said, and so that's what they leaned toward their own understanding, not what God said. But Joshua and Caleb made a decision. You could say that if you want to. You could believe that if you want to. As far as we're concerned, God is on our side. God is on my side. And He's greater in me. So I'm saying, by choice, that God will see me through this situation no matter what anyone else thinks. Under C, it's easy to fall away if we don't continue feeding our faith. Which is why we need to hear teaching on faith all the time. Beloved, I'm telling you, there's a lot of subjects in the Bible. But without faith, the gospel is of none effect. If we don't believe it, it's easy to fall away if we don't continue feeding our faith. So, if we surround ourselves with those who constantly feed our, our feelings and doubts, it will undermine our faith. Undermine it big time. This is what you don't have. The last statement here. The last paragraph. If we surround ourselves with people of like precious faith, our faith will be strengthened. Our faith will be strengthened. We need to surround ourselves with people that believe God and they believe as we do. Amen. So if we want our faith strengthened, if you recall when Peter was talking, Jesus was talking to Peter, he said, Satan came to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you. That your faith fail not. And when you get converted, go strengthen. Peter strengthened other people. And you read his epistles. Isn't that what he did? Amen. Amen. Well, let's all stand together before the Lord.